Hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Klug. I'm your host of our CEO series. Welcome. I have a wonderful guest with us today. Francie Lucido is co-founder and president of Michigan Staffing. It's wonderful to have her with us today. Um, she not only founded the company, um, but she grew it to over 20 million in sales. I can't wait to find out how you did that, Francie. Um, and Michigan Staffing is the best and brightest company to work for. Uh, today, we're going to dive into Francie's insights, not only on talent and what's happening out there in the world, but also how she grew her business uh, and her leadership style. So welcome, Francie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so tell us, 20 million people, that is quite... Um, Quite an entrepreneur's dream to get to 20 million. That, that's when you made it. Tell us about that journey and what do you think the secret sauce is for your success? Hmm. Well, it's definitely an up and down journey. Uh, it certainly is not linear by any stretch of the imagination. So, first and foremost, um, but in terms of how we got to this point, it really, I think, was keeping our eyes on relationships. It really sounds so basic, but whether it was our clients or whether it was our contractors on assignment, um, our team internally, um, putting that first and foremost and developing that over time, uh, keeping our clients long-term retention of clients because we were focused on relationships really, I think, is what one of the things that really made the difference. The other thing is, is I think, honestly, um, resilience. Yeah. In being able to ride the ups and downs and still believe in your vision and know that your your hard work and your commitment to your values um, will eventually pay off. Um, so, yeah, I would say those. Talk more on that, because resilience is a, a wonderful phrase, but mm -hmm. you and I both know that resilience is a lot. Yeah. So let's swim in the resilience, because, I mean, CEOs of today, we've been through a lot. There was a great recession, a pandemic, um, ups and downs with talent wars and what have you. What? How do you define that resilience in, in making success? Is it just staying up till midnight to get it done? Or is it um, rolling the sleeves and diving in? What? How do you define resilience? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's a mindset. It's, it's honestly like an inside out job, I feel like. Managing your own emotions, finding ways to maintain and gain continued strength. Um, diving in, um, leading by example, um, roll, yes, definitely rolling up your sleeves yourself. Uh, everyone can see that you're committed at every level within the organization. Um, and just maintaining that belief system, mm -hmm. um, and reminding yourself over and over because it really takes so much work to stay in the, the right mindset to be there for your people. Yeah, it's like being in the zone, very similar to how professional athletes are. Right. The, the mind controls the action. 
mm-hmm. and never giving up. Honestly, I have this this little um, picture on my desk, and it says um, success is largely when sort of like everyone else gives up, and you're still hanging on. And it's again, it sounds so fundamental, but a lot of people give up. Yeah. Well, I like to say success comes from a series of failures. You try, you fail, you try, you fail, you try, you fail. Oh, this one has a little oomph to it. Let's go with this one. You know, that kind of thing. Um, Well, you know, there's a lot going on in your industry. Uh, Some some companies are still aggressively hiring. Some have softened their hiring. Um, What's going on with your clients right now? What are their greatest obstacles as it relates to talent? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have we have employees that are working from unskilled through you know C-suite. Um, so on the professional side, um, our biggest challenge that we hear from our clients, or the biggest challenge they have, is not being able to offer 100% remote work because they have talent they want to bring in, but the demands on the candidate side are pretty, um, pretty steadfast. That you know they'll 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 walk away from offers without remote, fully remote work. Um, and we've had it happen time and time again. Um, on the unskilled or or semi-skilled side, um, the challenge is um, people not continuing to work. They'll work for a period of time and then they'll disappear. So retention of employees yeah. is their issue. And and honestly, I think it breaks down even more to the issue becomes how do we teach that type of employee how to problem solve? Because a lot of the times the reason they don't come back is because they don't know how to problem solve through the issues they're having. Are those personal issues or work issues? Are they no transportation or? Well, it might be personal issues, but also in the workplace, they see something they don't like and, or they have an issue or a concern with a manager or supervisor. And instead of talking about it, instead of working through it, I'll just try someplace else. Mm. Um, so I think that's going to have to go through that learning curve with their new job. There'll be issues there. And then they don't have that skill. Right. Um, which brings me to my, my next point that I wanted to talk to you about. There is a, a huge skill gap. Some people call it the great divide. Um, we're hearing from a lot of CEOs that they, they need to hire for a certain skill level with inflation and all the changes in the talent war, uh, companies throwing money at people. Salaries are up here. Skill set is down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's forcing employers to put training programs in place. And to your point and your example, um, we might need to educate uh, new folks coming in to get through uh, the learning curve because that's good for them and their personal skill set. I, I almost think there's a bubble coming on this mm-hmm. uh, where... Um, you know, maybe employees are jumping and hopping companies quite a bit. They're getting higher pay, but they're not getting the skill set That's right. that employers need. So there, there's a real big disconnect. Tell me your thoughts on that. Well, I think as it relates to skill and uh, salary, 
or skill and hourly pay. Um, I think that the design of the compensation needs to be evaluated because there are demands for higher pay. In many cases, there's it's hard to get around it. I mean, the, the increases have to be there to a certain extent within the bandwidth of the, the organization, but it doesn't always have to be that base pay. It can be tied to learning new skills. You attain another level, okay, now you have a bonus or you have um, extra incentives in some way that are monetary. Um, I just think that, it, you know, it's that overhead that companies are challenged with at the higher pay. And they, I think everyone's looking at, okay, so how do we keep that controlled, but still incentivize growth within the, the skill sets that we need for our organization? Using some ingenuity on a win-win. Mm -hmm. That's very, very good advice. Very good advice. Um, so let's shift gears to your leadership style. What, what you've been very successful, uh, but what are your expectations of your team? You know, you're CEO, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. um, what are your expectations of your team? What makes an exceptional team leader? And then how do you how do you define that hard work that you expect out of people? So let's start with um, what makes an exceptional team member and mm -hmm. how do they meet your expectations? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, fundamentally, they have to start with wanting to just to make a difference. I just believe that that has to be innate in the person that we bring onto the team. But in terms of you know, being an exceptional employee, they need to create an experience for the customer. Um, again, the customer being our employees or our clients. It, it's not that we're providing just a service. It's not that that employee, that team member is just providing a service. They really have to be able to look at it as a full experience that they're providing so that it goes beyond what we're doing, but also how we're making the client feel and how we're going above and beyond to do things that the client isn't, doesn't expect from us, that right. are value add, that help them know that we've sort of, we have their back. So our exceptional team members are the ones that look for those opportunities, find those opportunities, and then deliver on that. Again, a, an underlying theme here of creativity yeah, and finding solutions on your own mm -hmm. versus yeah. playing by the, the rules, so to speak. Uh, yeah. Um, what's your definition of hard work? Well, it certainly changed over time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was sweat equity in the beginning. <laughs> um, but but um, now I think that hard work is, um, you mentioned finding ways to be creative in exhausting all options mm -hmm. and always looking to give that extra 1%. Um, you could say, you know, 10% or 20%, but that 1% compounds over time and it's much more manageable um, for that person to work really hard for incremental gains 
So I think hard work is a lot of it is just commitment to where they're going and where they're trying to impact yeah. the various communities that we that we touch. Yeah, I would agree with that. That it's figuring it out. You want people on your team that can figure it out and, and take you to the next level. Right. And that takes a little elbow grease and some ingenuity of thought. Right. Yeah. Well, well said. Um, so probably most people uh, listening right now do not know that you are a life and leadership coach. So I want to I want to learn more about that. Why are you doing that? Um, first and foremost, and it's specifically for women, correct? It is. Okay, so tell us more about that. What, why did you get involved well, in coaching? I, I think it's it's been a passion all along. Really, in owning a business, in running a business. At the end of the day, I act as a coach, um, and it involves. You know, working with my team professionally, but it also means working with them in terms of their personal development. Um, we have a very family-like culture, um, and people feel pretty comfortable to look, uh, to open up to conversations about just how to grow. Um, and so now I'm at a point in my career, in my in my life, where I I want to do more of that because that's what lights me yeah. up most. Right. Um, and I want to give back because I want other pe- I want other people's paths to be easier and also for people to feel, you know, fulfilled. A lot of people feel stuck and they just don't, they want to get someplace, but they don't know how to get there. Well, I would challenge you that your secret sauce to the, to the 20 million in sales is not only um, building client relationships, but it's exactly what you just said there, mentoring others and being a coach as the leader of your organization, which comes naturally to you. And it's a passion for you. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many uh, CEOs out there have no clue how to mentor, coach and inspire. Mm-hmm. So I would add that to your resume. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so for the women listening, you specifically mentor women. What mm-hmm. advice? What what are some aha moments in coaching women that you can give to other women CEOs listening right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to really know who you are. Um, I think you need to know um, how you want to feel about what you're doing. Um, and I think that you have to be, sort of begin with the end in mind. I think that as a leader, you are creating, you're creating that experience for the people around you. Um, And so you need to know what it is you want other people to say at the end of the day and what you want to be proud of at the end of the day. And then build from there. And the begin with the end in mind is, you know, like the age old Franklin uh, or Stephen Covey principle. But I'll I really believe that it's it's um, somewhat foolproof in that if you keep that in mind and work backwards, you'll get to where where you want to be. Work your plan. 
here's the goal. Here's the steps I'll take to get there and just uh, work it backwards. As you said, that's very good advice Uh, instead of winging it and hoping. Right. Right. Hope's not a strategy. Right. Hope is not a strategy. (laughs) Your your industry is pretty cutthroat. It, it, there's a lot of movement within your industry. Uh, it's fast paced. There's a lot of competitors. Um, what advice would you give to others to stay ahead in a very cutthroat industry? Communicate heavily with your clients because they actually have the answers to where it is that you need to go. So are you are you engaging with your customer? Are you listening to your customer? Are you asking the right questions to learn where the pain points are, um, what's happening in their industry, um, and then how can you problem solve through that to provide the solutions that will set you apart um, and also to kind of get a seat at the table because you know, it, when we're working with our clients, we they're we want to be a partner to them. Right. So when you have that kind of communication, you have a greater opportunity to really be in it with them instead of on the outside looking in. And it gives you the advantage of knowing what your next step should be and how to get be proactive in the marketplace to support them. Yeah, if you listen closely to your clients, as you suggest, they can write your strategic plan for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Client care is a big deal in your industry, which you just talked about. And Mm -hmm. client experience is a a very uh, big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to read this here. So you mentioned... The three keys to client care. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to expand on this. Number okay. one, exceeding expectations, which you talked about. Mm-hmm. A positive culture, which mm-hmm. we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. And giving back to the community, which we didn't talk about. Right. Uh, can you expand on this formula um, for client experience and client care? Well, I, I think that. It starts with the culture, and that then radiates out to the clients. So in terms of the culture, I think that creating trust in your organization is critical. Um, And that comes from how you, again, comes back to how are you interacting with the team? Um, I know, for example, at the beginning of all of our meetings, we do good news and it's one personal and one professional. And they're just ways to build trust um, with, you know, with your organization. Um, I think you have to have an open door policy. We do. Um, I think that's gone a long way in terms of our culture. And it's where the ideas come in because, you know, my ideas are, you know, that much of the whole, um, other people in, 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 and also not being a yes organization. So mm-hmm. open door, but not being a yes organization where people can give their opinions, um, can give their ideas so that you are stronger all the way around. Um, those are a couple of the things in terms of, in terms of our culture. Wonderful. 
Wonderful, thank you. Uh, you had talked about uh, remote work before and that how candidates are not accepting jobs that don't offer remote work uh, in specific industries and, and positions. Uh, we are hearing from the C-suite, uh, more and more CEOs are saying, we need to bring people back. And there's a lot of reasons for it, whether it's for better communications, better collaboration, um, the impact it's making on uh, downtowns across the, the country. Um, some big markets need people to come back. Um, what advice would you give to those CEOs that want to bring people back and you're seeing the talent that wants to be remote? What, what advice would you give them? Uh, I, I think the, that when you're redesigning your workplace, it needs, certainly the, the final decision maker makes, you know, is the final decision maker, but I think it needs to be collaborative in creating the culture and creating the, the design of work that's happening. I, I think I didn't want to add remote to my organization, I, especially the work we do. You know, we were here even during COVID in person. Um, but if I didn't listen to my people and at least try to find a way to give them some of what they wanted, I would lose, I would lose talent. Right. I know that I would. I don't think that, I think that it can be, there has to be some flexibility or I think that you'll miss out. And yeah. it may, even if it's that you want everybody in the office five days a week, well, maybe some can leave early on different days. So right. just, you know, finish their day elsewhere. What, again, back to creativity, you have to think, I think, out of the box and know that so many of the rules don't apply anymore. And also we have new generations coming in right. um, that have completely different ideas of how things should work um, and we have to adapt to some extent. We uh, we like to recommend that people define what collaboration looks like for that organization. And to your point, work it backwards from there. What do we need for collaboration? And as your, your point, get the team involved in it into mm -hmm. defining what collaboration uh, should be and then right. getting approvals and adjusting uh, for that. Um, I do hear in terms of when you're talking about collaboration, though, one of the, the pain points, again, that I hear all the time is that, you know, where there's hybrid situations, but everyone's coming in on different days, that that is just a point of frustration yeah. for, for, the, for the, the, the team members, that they're not really feeling like they're accomplishing Right. Yeah, that's what we're hearing too. So one of the fixes for that is the team leader sets the schedule. This is when I'm going to be in. This is when our collaboration day is, or these are the collaboration days within our department. Here's our collaboration days with other teams. And setting that schedule is one of the solutions that we're starting to hear just for that issue. You're right. It's, it's an issue. Um, everybody has a story especially uh, us leaders of our businesses. We have stories. Some of them we can share, some of them we can't. <laughs> right. Uh, but there's pivotal moments 
and, and pivotal achievements, whether they're positive or negative, and sometimes the negatives turn out to be positives later. Can you share one or two of your pivotal moments in building your company to the success it is today? Well, I think that 2008 to 2010 was traumatic, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but pivotal. I mean, we had at that time, I think 600 people, contractors out working. And within the matter of 60 days, we went down to under 100. So having to first lead the people within your organization through such a scary time to help, you were talking about inspire them to sort of keep the faith, inspire them to still create results. Um, to have confidence in your decisions mm -hmm. uh, and to know that there's a plan going forward um, and to learn to lead differently. Like how I led up to that point was different um, than how I had to lead for the several years after that because everything became very tight timelines. So, you know, before if you're leading, you're leading over, let's say, our goals for the quarter. Well, it would be goals for the week. Yeah. When you're in, you know, really trying time. So um, I think that it made us stronger um, as an organization. Uh, as you were saying, on the other side, um, we became more diverse as an organization. Um, people um, really rose to the occasion. So, you know, a lot of a lot of good came out of it. But that was certainly, certainly pivotal. Uh, there's a, a wonderful um, consultant that talks about blue ocean strategy, and she says, never waste a crisis. That's right. And, and she also says, uh, a crisis is what you need in order to take your organization to the next level. It fixes yeah. things pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And you rebuild differently. Mm -hmm. if, if, the point of in that case, rebuilding, you basically rebuilding your entire company. And you, yeah, you do it differently. Right, right. Um, you're a certified woman business-owned enterprise, um, which is a whole industry in and of itself, supplier diversity and what have you. Mm -hmm. But let's say you had a 16-year-old future female uh, business leader. She's an entrepreneur. She wants to be an entrepreneur. She wants to start her own business. Yeah. She wants to have 100 people. She wants to have 20 million in, in sales. Um, you're sitting in front of her. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give? First, I would say, do what you love to do. What it is that you want to, what kind of business you want to have, um, follow your passions and the rest will follow. Um, I think a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs look at maybe the dollar signs that might be there or what is trending in terms of the kind of business. And I think it really, it has to be something that you're passionate about or you won't survive. Um, I would tell her that she needs to learn and become a forever learner and find support um, in peer groups and, and in groups of people that are, are more experienced um, to ask for help. Um, and, and you had mentioned something earlier, 
something I really believe in is know that you can fail your way to success. Like, <laughs> let it be okay. Literally. <laughs> yeah, to fail your, your way to success and don't think you have to do it like everyone else's. Like if you give yourself permission to close your eyes and say, you know what, this is how everybody else is doing it. But let me like, let me really think about if I had to do this, not knowing how other people are doing it, how would I go about doing this? So really be- believing in yourself, not comparing yourself. Right, right. And, and that's a good point about asking for help. So many people think it's the stain on their reputation if they ask for help. Some people's personalities asking for help is a no-no. You got to fake how wonderful things are. Yeah. Um, I will tell you this. If anybody has ever asked me for help or advice, I prioritize that yeah. because we we want to help the next level of leaders up. And plus, it's an opportunity for us to share our knowledge. Um, so that anybody listening right now that has a goal or an ambition and you haven't asked for help because you don't want it to make you look bad, you are missing a huge opportunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think if I, if I didn't ask questions and along the way, there is no way that we we would have, we would be where we're at. Right. Very good advice, Fancy. All right. So one of the things we like to do on this program is we like to remove the title and focus on you as a human, because so many times um, leaders are looked at for their status or their title um, and people forget that they're humans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Let's talk about you as a human. Uh, How do you start your day? What do you do? Mm. Well, um, I start with uh, gratitude. Um, at least five things that I'm grateful for. Um, I also subscribe. I don't know if anybody else subscribes to Rachel Hollis's sort of um, 10 dreams that you write down every day oh, that wow. you have that are big dreams um, that you uh, are looking to attain over time and really focusing on one um, that just keeps everything kind of front and center. Uh, and I prayer for me also. Very, very nice. And 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 what people forget is prayer is a form of meditation. It is. Yeah. It's very yeah. relaxing, no matter what religion or, or what have you. Um, do you have any quirky pet peeves? Um, I think when people say, I think it's perfectly fine to say, I don't know, but when people say, I don't know, and it stops there, like period, and not, I'll go find out, or let me see who can help you, or that that always bothers me. There's that underlying theme with you, uh, figuring it out, ingenuity, creativity, right? There's an underlining theme in our conversation. (laughs) What, What about hidden talents? Do you have any oh. hidden talents or unique hobbies? I don't have a hidden talent. I think unique hobby, well, my latest unique, unique hobby, and I don't think it's that unique, but it's unique to me, is um, e-biking. What is that? <laughs> Tell us more. It's, it's taking long bike rides, but the but the bike is motorized. So it gives you a little extra, little extra help along the way so that you can go for really long distances. So I try to take e-bike trips. Okay, fantastic advice, especially if we get older and the knees hurt, yeah. right? 
Right. Um, what's a decision that you have made in your life that was a game changer for you as a human? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for a very long time, I felt like I needed to have the solutions. Even though I would listen to my team and I feel like I've been a good listener, I still felt like I had to have the solutions and I wouldn't direct people to one another to solve the problem. Um, And I think once I decided, you know what, my team can solve these problems. I may need to be a final statement. A lot of times it doesn't even end up coming to me. They, They resolve it on their own and it allows me to work more on the business than in the business. Um, but that shift created, had so many other positive outcomes throughout the organization. Fantastic advice. Fantastic advice. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is Francie Lucido with us, everyone, with Michigan Staffing. Uh, congratulations on your success and your ongoing future success. We know you're, you're going to continue to rock it. And uh, just keep shining bright. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next time.